0: The Well is a gospel-centered church located in Boulder, Colorado. We
1: exist to proclaim the gospel and make disciples. For more information about The Well, please visit us online at www.bolderwell.org. Well,
2: thanks for coming tonight. My name is Chase. I'm one of the pastors at The Well. I know we've got several churches represented here. We've got uh missio day falcon uh church we've supported down in falcon if you don't know where falcon is it's outside of colorado springs uh love Colbert there we've got fellowship denver park trinity church we've got calvary here in boulder so we've got a lot of people from a lot of different churches that that's really exciting uh these guys that we're having tonight uh have been working with the well for what three years something okay. like that now um going through the leader's journey with us and so we're really excited to have them here jim and rich uh having them here with us tonight. And what we're doing in these Christian Formation workshops is we're really trying to help you understand how to connect with God more and connect with others more. And this, what we called, we call this, you know, last year we called this the capstone, you know, how you have like a senior capstone in college. This is really kind of the summation of the three other workshops that we have presented to you guys this, this past, what we call an academic year. So what we've provided so far is a workshop on the Holy Spirit, Uh, with Dave Moreland from Fellowship Denver. And he kind of laid out some guardrails and some encouragements for us to connect with the Holy Spirit. And you can find that all on the website. And then we did church history with Scott Winnig from Denver Seminary. And then we did, uh, what else did we do? Thinking Biblically, thanks. Thinking Biblically with Dr. Bouchard from Denver Seminary as well. And how to be a good theologian. We're all theologians because we all have thoughts about God. And so we want to have the right thoughts about God. And so all of those resources are available on our website. Um, and so you can find those there. But tonight what we're focusing on in kind of the capstone is how we connect with God and how we connect with one another and how we do that well. I know a lot of us come from kind of a DNA which is very missional. Uh, that's a kind of a trendy word in our circles. And really the missional movement we were talking about with these guys at lunch can really set us up for a very idealistic picture of community. And when we actually get into community, it turns out to be real hard, right? It, relationships prove challenging. Uh, You have lots of difficulties in your own soul and you encounter difficulties with one another, whether it's uh, a spouse, someone you're dating or just friends in the church or people outside the church or parents, whatever it may be. And so tonight, Jim and Rich are really going to unpack the challenges you face and the rewards you face in deep relationships with one another and God. And so we've tried to give them a a broad uh, topic, life in community, because we trust them a lot. Uh, with a lot of different stuff. And they've, been, like I said, they've been working with us for three years on uh, just increasing our maturity as leaders. So I hope tonight's a blessing for you. The way it's going to work tonight is they're going to teach for about 50 minutes. We'll kind of have a Q&A after the first 50 minutes and they can be as interactive as they desire to be. Um, and then we'll have a break and then we'll do another 50 minutes, have some Q&A. So I hope you're ready to hear and receive and to foster that. What I'd like to do is pray for us before we start. So let's pray together. God, thanks so much that we can gather together and we can consider what it looks like to live in relationship with you and with others. I pray that tonight as we hear from Jim and Rich, that we would be attentive, that we would be introspective in a a healthy way to foster a healthy relationship with you and with others. That God, you would develop our self-awareness and our uh, ability to connect with you and with others. That you would increase our trust and our individuality and our initiative and mastery of all the different competencies you've given us so that we can honor you with our lives. We pray all these things because of what you've already accomplished in you, Jesus. Amen.
1: We have eight grandchildren, and that keeps us plenty busy. We live in southern Indiana. Um, Grew up in upstate New York, went to college in Iowa, did seminary in uh, Massachusetts, uh, pastored for 25 years, and then uh, started Crosspoint Ministry in 1995 to work with leaders. In the Christian Church, and uh, about ten years ago, twelve years ago, I forget how many years ago. I'm twelve. Jim and I. Uh, Jim came on board, and uh, we're kind of cross-point ministry. You can say. Something. I'm married to Joy. We
0: have two children, two grandsons, two grandchildren. They live out in San Jose, which is really, frankly, an ungodly place to live for many reasons, uh, especially financially. Uh, and then I have a daughter in Chattanooga. I was born in Chattanooga. My wife was born in Chattanooga. We were born in the same hospital. So, same city, same hospital. Uh, we did not have the same mother. We're not from West Virginia. So, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're good to go. Uh, been in ministry basically all my life. My father was a uh, pastor, planted a church. That was my earliest, some of my earliest memories and then I uh, was an evangelist, and um, then eventually a missionary. So I'm a PK, an EK, and an MK, which explains why I drool and some other things that will happen <laughs> through the rest of the day. Glad to be here, and glad for this uh, opportunity. Thank you for coming.
1: So what we want to attempt to persuade you tonight is this: just this simple statement. That the quality of your life is dependent on the quality of your relationships. We really don't care how smart you are because we work with really smart people and some of them aren't doing very well relationally. And life's not a happy experience. The quality of your life is not dependent upon your intelligence, nor is the quality of your life dependent on your skill set or your competency in those skill sets. Now, it's important that you have some skills. And it's important that you're competent. We're not a, we're not opposed to competency, but the quality of your life is not dependent on your skill set or your competencies. Nor is it dependent upon your position in your world or the money in the bank or the car you drive or the house you live in, or whether you live in Boulder, Colorado, which is a great place to live. It really does depend upon the quality of your relationships. The quality of your life is dependent upon the quality of your relationships. So what we want to persuade you is that we want to frame consciousness, your consciousness, to be that of a relational consciousness. We want you to have your first awareness to be about your relationships. Maybe it's your relationship with you, or perhaps it's your relationship with someone else, or maybe even your relationship with God. The quality of your life depends upon those circles of relationships. Now, we make no assumption that if you make the fundamental paradigm for perceiving reality relationships, that your life will be made much easier. In fact, it will probably become really challenging. Because when it comes to relationships, many of us prefer either denial or avoidance. Alan Jones, in his little book, Soul Making, which is a really good book, by the way, talks about the majority of people in our culture. And he says this, the majority of people in our culture prefer to live asleep. And what he means by that, they prefer to live asleep about themselves. And hence, they prefer to live asleep about their relationships with others. So tonight, we're going to talk about that. That the quality of your life depends upon the quality of your relationships. And doing relationships well, so that they're meaningful and they're rich, even though at times they're very messy, is the most significant thing you'll do in your life. Now, why is it that we all want to affirm, and by the way, I don't mean to uh, disagree with Chase, But we like to teach interactively. So if you don't understand what we're saying, and sometimes because we're both post-60, we're confused, you can ask us, and we don't care. Uh, We'll try to clarify it. It may work. It may not. But we don't care about that either. So that's what happens when you get after post-60. So we want you, if you have some questions, you have a comment, you want to interact a bit, you don't have to wait till the end. You can do that. Now, if we feel we're getting too derailed, we'll tell you that, and we'll just deliver some more things. So why is it this, why is it our conviction that the quality of our life depends on the quality of our relationship? It's simply this, everything in this world exists by and for relationship. Everything. There isn't anything in the world that's not in relationship for the good of something else. We know that to be true. Because God, as Lord of the created order, is always in relationship to his created beings and his created order. So all of life, everything, is in relationship to something. And we know about the nature of God himself. But the nature of God himself is that God is a relational God. The distinctiveness of Christianity is that it's a Trinitarian God, right? We believe in a Trinitarian God, that's Christianity. And that Trinitarian God lives in an eternal relationship of love. God, in his essence, is a relational being who dwells in perfect communion, harmony, holiness, righteousness, and love. So we have a relational God who's created a relational world. Now, you and I, oddly enough, Maybe not oddly. You and I are here because of a relationship. All of us came from a relationship. I assume that. And we are dependent upon human relationship for human creation. We're created by relationships. And we're created for relationships. One of the most exciting areas in psychology is neuropsychology. And in the last 10 years, neuropsychology has been explosive in the information it's provided that confirms much of what we know is true in the scripture. Neuropsychology has made the point that we're designed by and for relationships. For instance, it talks about and discovered about 10 years what are called mirror neurons or mimicry cells. And the purpose of mirror neurons in an infant is that they can borrow the brain of their caregiver. And borrowing the brain of their caregiver is the means by which an infant will soothe their primitive anxiety. And it helps them manage their world their mirror neurons establish the capacity of them within two weeks to discern facial expressions. And the discernment of facial expressions is one of the key elements in navigating relationships throughout our lives. Isn't it interesting that neurologically we are structured and neurologically wired to be in relationships?
0: It's amazing that we hold ours. first and now our second grandson's only a couple months old, held him. And and even though he's so small, when you smile, you know what he tried to do back? He tried to smile back. Now why would he smile when we're smiling at him? Because what Rich just said. He's got mirror neurons that take their cue from mommy and daddy or grandpa and grandma and do that on his face. That's astounding. We're created by relationships. So he's going to learn some things by being in relationship with us.
1: In fact, for a moment, if we think about it, human identity is established relationally. In fact, when we think of how we become a self, we become a self because we have permeable souls. You have a permeable soul. You know the old adage, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. You know that's a lie. And you know that's a lie because you have a permeable soul. So literally, you internalize the presence of other persons. And because you internalize the presence of other persons, you establish early imprints that are neurologically wired within you. And they become kind of the platform, if you will, by which you become a self. And actually, when you get into a meaningful relationship with someone, and you happen to get married, guess what comes online? All of those primitive imprints that you learned early in that relationship of permeable trust and love, or not, come online in that intimate relationship. And that's why relationships can be the most challenging reality we ever have in our lives. So we have our mirror neurons. We have the nature of the soul is permeable, that enables the formation of a sense of self. Have you ever? Had, you're, maybe you're not old enough yet, but have you ever said, "I'm not going to sound like her," and you were meaning your mother, or you said, "I'm not going to sound like him." You you vowed that, meaning your father. I did. I vowed I would never sound like Ed guess what? When I got a teenage daughter, you know who I sounded like? I sounded like Ed. How could that be? Because he was a part of me because of my permeable soul. And that's how identity is formed, through human relationships.
0: And and it's the closest of our relationships which bring out the most basic, primitive, early way we've been relationally wired. Mm -hmm. I can be, I probably could be an amazing uh, with you, all of you, because I can keep you at arm's length, because I'm flying back to Indiana in the morning. You know, we're not going to get too close too quickly. So we can all be kind of chummy, smile, and that's all good. But I'm flying back to Joy. We've been married almost 41 years. She's she's close. And she can get to me like you can't get to me. And same with me as her. Because the closer you get, the more vulnerable you become. And the more vulnerable you, you feel yourself, the more it's touching what I learned earliest about how to do relationships.
1: Hmm. Make sense? So the nature of God tells us, you know, it's a relational world, because he's a relational God, and we're made in his image. Forgot to say that. We're made in his image, so we're relational beings. We have these mirror neurons that mimic things early on in our lives, and we have a permeable soul that we can borrow and develop an identity through relationships with other people. It's sort of interesting. What did Jesus say the great commandment was? Love God and love others. Why in the world would Jesus say that? Why didn't he say, why don't you think with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Or why don't you act with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? He said, no, you love with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. Why in the world would Jesus make it about love as the great commandment? The summation of all the scriptures is love, because the fundamental paradigm for our lives is relational. And the means to navigate it is through love. And he sets a particular trajectory of the nature of that love. So we find Jesus himself arguing, if you will, explicitly and implicitly. It's about relationships. For after all, when Jesus came to the first disciples, he didn't say, hi boys, he said, follow me. That's a relational command. Whatever else it is, it's an invitation to relationship. And Jesus sustained that for three years with those men. And as well, many women. We have a whole section in our notes on relational knowing, which we don't have time to develop. We want to just say this about it. If you're going to know anything, you'll need to love it. You'll need to be in a relationship of love with it. And the things you love most, you'll know best. Eleanor Meeks makes this point, or Esther Meeks makes the point in her book, on epistemology, covenant knowing, that those who want to know something deeply and truly and fully, love. Because to be in relationship with something, to really enter into it, to grasp what it is and what it means, will require love. If you want to know someone, you will need to love them. And if you wish to know yourself, you will need to love God who will enable you to love yourself. Isn't that amazing
0: that it's not so cut and dried, objective as to how we know something? It's really not. The first movement of knowing is loving, and actually, probably being loved by that. Rich loves early American art. I do. And he knows something about it because he loves it. I didn't cultivate that love. I'm just okay with five-dollar reprints, you know, at the at the uh, flea market. I grew up in Canada in the bush. You didn't even have pictures on the wall. I mean, it just. You had guns. You had guns on the wall. I know something about guns because I love guns. Yeah, this is Boulder, right? Um, let me say it again. I love guns. I love I love the artistry of I love the artistry of, of a camera because I love photography. If you're going to, if you're going to know God, you're going to have to love God. If you're going to know your kids well, you're going to have to love them, because love pulls you in. We can say here it's a the quality of life depends on your relationship, because even how you know is a relational deal. It's not a cold, hard fact deal. It's a relational deal. And neuroscience is, is proving that. Because mm. we have an explicit world where you can remember third grade. We we'll ask you to remember something, you can recall it. And we have an implicit world, which is below the waterline. It's unthought knowns. And it's the implicit world that can, from which we do our relationships. Because this got
1: set early. Because what just... What structured this? What structured that early world? Anyone want to guess? Starts with an R. You want to tell them your Sunday school yeah. story, Jim. When, when yeah, we're
0: talking tonight, yeah. it's just like Sunday school. Yeah. In Sunday school, whenever there's a question, the answer is what? It looks like a squirrel. It walks like a squirrel, hops around like a squirrel. But the answer must be... All right. Tonight... <laughs> Whenever Rich asks a question, the answer is relationship. Yeah, there you go. It may sound That may sound crazy, but the answer is relationship. Okay. Here we go. Squirrel, yeah. This is formed relationally, and that's the place from which we do our relational. Connecting. Connecting. You may think you married her because of all of this. Guess what? You married that, and you don't even know about that yet. You're too young.
1: Yeah. You actually married the perfect person relationally who can activate your deepest wounds because you thought he or she would heal you.
2: And we call that that in
1: America falling in love. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) You know, when we think of the... Are the gospel that comes through Jesus, the gospel is throughout a relational reality. The essence of the coming of Jesus, his cross, his life, his cross, his resurrection, and his ascension, is for this. That you might participate in the life of God. That's why he came. And the life you live now as a believer in Christ, you live every moment of the day, every second of the day, every day of the week, every week of the year, and every year that God gives you. You live it in participatory communion with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you live it so profoundly that way That God says, I come, and because your soul is permeable, I'll take residence within you. So while the incarnate son now dwells in his resurrected body in the presence of the Trinitarian God in heaven, the Holy Spirit of God has decided to come and dwell in you and me. That's a staggering reality. In Christianity. It's one of its grandest miracles. But it speaks to the essence of what Jesus was after in teaching the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the inauguration of good news and the reign in the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ, is that you may have communion with the living God and that you may live in participatory communion. And as Paul says it in Romans 8, What will ever separate me from the love of God? And his answer, nothing. Nothing in all creation. Because it's an impossibility. Because God has chosen you and has taken residence in you. And now you live in eternal communion with the living God. That's a relational reality. That's the essence of your identity. And that's why the most significant paradigm you and I can ever live with is a relational paradigm, and if we forget that, it affects the development and maturation of our spiritual life and our psychological life as well. If you don't have a basically a, particip-
0: a participatory communion union in Christ, if that's not our understanding, our basic understanding of the gospel, then we're left. We're going to float towards seeing the gospel in terms of legalism. Or moralism or some other ism that ain't the good ism. Without a strong relational understanding of what I am in Christ and who I am in Christ and where my soul is located, are even even the gospel goes a little sideways. Yeah. Our dear brother here, we were getting to know each other. And he confessed he's out of a Baptist background, you know, when he was way young. He's gotten over it now, thank you know. No, okay. And and we were kind of comparing notes because that's my background. Independent, Baptist, fundamentalist, King James only, no slacks on women. My hair wouldn't pass the test, it's too long. Um and it The point I'm making, it gave me some good stuff. It set some foundational stuff of things I need to know. But without its focus of understanding the gospel in terms of who we are relationally in Christ, it really veered toward a legalism, a fundamentalism that was stifling. And and a whole generation has walked away from it. So our point is simply we're trying to establish a frame your consciousness around everything from a relational con, consciousness. You, in, in other words, you see morality in terms of relationship. Morality is serving relationship. Why does, the, why, why does scripture say don't don't do that? Don't lie. Why does it say that? Because God just kind of said, what could I do to make their life hard? <laughs> okay, lying. Well, Why did he say that? Because what is that like in relationship? Helpful or not? not All too. morality is in service of something. It's not an end in itself. It's in service
1: of a deeper, richer, more healthy, holy communion. See, if you don't have a relational paradigm you become a legalist if you're a, if you want to be a virtuous person see virtue is not in service that we god can say to you, us you're a good boy and you're a good girl the purpose of virtue is to facilitate communion that's the purpose of virtue it's to facilitate communion between us and among us and is to facilitate communion with the living God. A virtuous person can live open-heartedly. And living open-heartedly is one of the essential means for relational connection and communion. Oh, what else? What are you thinking? We've been talking a lot. You have any? Questions? What are you hearing us say? What are you hearing us say?
0: Is that good. That was that was exciting for us to get that
1: feedback. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. And in our heart of hearts, we know it. We know it even if the most significant relationships we've had have hurt us. The fact that that hurt runs so deep in us is an indicator of the significance of our relational reality. Yeah, how do we do that? How were they formed? There you go. It looks like a squirrel, but relationally. (laughs) There you go. Good. How are they transformed? There you go. That's why God called together a community of faith. So we could live in community. And we could learn to do it again. Differently. And that's why why relationships are so messy. Because the closer you get in a community of faith... The more primitive the activation of your stuff. And whenever early stuff gets activated, it's always more messy. Like Jim said, hey, we can have a great time tonight. I could like you and you could like me. I'm leaving tomorrow. <laughs> but if you had to live with me day in and day out, like Sally does, that would be different. Trust me, it would be different. Very different. Because the greater the intimacy, the greater the activation of the earliest parts of who we are, and if you've been married more than what should we say, two nights? Let's go to the benefit of the doubt, three. Three. That's a. That's a You know this is true.
0: What do you mean by the earliest what? activation? Yeah. The question.
1: Well, we, we, we. It means that we carry early remembrances of trust or mistrust. And when we get into a relationship of closeness, it's going to activate whether or not we trust others or we mistrust them. Now, if we trust, well, it'll go fairly well. But all of us have some aspect of who we are that's mistrustful. Because no one grew up in a perfect place or in a perfect home or with perfect parents or in perfect relationships, so all of us have some kind of early imprint that leaves us wounded, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit more, in a little while, though. Bro, good, very good question. Good question. Yeah, bro. Hmm.
0: If relationships are the way God has ordained to heal us. Why do we prefer uh, to avoid isolation, them. avoidance? Because we're really scared. Mm-hmm. We're not sure how to be loved. Yeah, because that being loved is is being open enough, vulnerable enough to actually be loved. Mm. And many of us have experiences in our past that make us say, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going there again. I was hurt in a church. Or I was hurt in a marriage relationship. Or I was hurt really deeply by a friend. So we're basically scared. Scared. And frankly, in an economy where there's money, money buys me the opportunity to be alone. Mm-hmm. It, does.
1: it buys me the opportunity to avoid being known. Because it's money helps me create an image. See, to live relationally, authentically is the most, I, I think I said this, but we repeat ourselves because we're post-60, is the most demanding thing we'll do. Because we are that afraid, we are that scared, we're not sure about this whole notion of being loved. You know that the first movement of Christian spirituality is really learning to be loved. You know that, don't you? For this is love. Not that we love God, but what? But he loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The first movement of Christian redemption is learning to be loved. Some of us need to go back to that. And we need to stay there for a good year or two. And we need to learn to be loved, which is the journey of vulnerability. And if you're not willing to take that route, you're only kidding yourself. You're only avoiding yourself. And you're going to chase you're going to chase stuff And you will leave yourself. You will live, as Richard Rohr says, you will live on the periphery of your soul. You will not live from the center of your soul. Learning to be loved. We need to learn to be loved. That's the challenge of living relationally. God sets the pace for us, and then we live in community where hopefully we seek to love one another as best we know how. We don't do it perfectly, but we learn to love. Yes. Don't make any assumptions. That's a start. Most, a lot of marital conflict is created because we make assumptions, or we're really fearful of disclosing, and we assume he or she should know. Well, don't don't make that assumption because here's the truth of it: he doesn't, nor does she. So the journey is this willingness to be self-disclosing. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps, maybe that's the first movement in maturation in in marriage relationships is really learning to be self-disclosing. Yes, sir. That's correct. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly. You nailed it. That's exactly what's going on at a deep level within Christian community. You know what happens? We get so hung up on the stuff between us in the Christian community, we often forget the deeper stuff that's going on. God loves us, and he's going to activate our stuff in Christian community. We need to get our big boy and big girl pants on and recognize God's doing serious work because he loves us. Don't walk away from it. Stay with it. Because if you really got your stuff activated, then learn about what activated you. Understand why you got so activated. Why was it so painful? Why was it so difficult? Why was it so messy and hard? Don't run away from that. Live into it. Lean into it. And you will find there the presence of God.
0: Yeah. See, see the activation as God's invitation. Yeah, there you go. God's saying, you, way back before you understood anything and still probably don't understand much, yeah. you, you absorb some stuff because you live in a fallen world. You absorb some stuff that makes it hard for you to be loved and thus hard to love. And I'm after changing that because the desire of your soul is to be connected mm-hmm. is to be is to be in deep significant relationships well if if we're going to get there we got to address some things and we're not going to address things until they come online and I start feeling it so whenever someone really pisses me off
1: that means makes me upset
0: <laughs> this is bolder they talk oh, like is, that uh, i yeah, think yeah. I can say what is what is going on here. I can actually see that as an invitation around developing or or something in my relational capacity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just read stuff. That's all. You know, I I read stuff. You know, I, I like psychology. I like the integration of psychology and Christian spirituality. So I, I find that one of the most fascinating areas of study is in the area of neuropsychology and how it interfaces with Christian spirituality. There's a lot that comports uh, between neuro what's being discovered in neuropsychology and Christian spirituality. Neuropsychology, but well, I don't want to talk about that. We're going to talk about that later. on. I'm going to talk about attachment, which neuropsychology has really discovered. That's what Jesus was talking about in the Great Commandment. It's about how you make attachments. So we kind of, yeah, we're we're not researchers. Yeah, we're we just we're, you we, know we're we're, pa- we're, we're, we're practitioners. Coming, we're,
0: we're coming with 20, 25 years of pastoral experience. And just seeing a lot of people and dealing with a lot of people. Yeah. And and thus we like to read and say, ah, it's kind of interesting what's going on underneath all this. Yeah, we and it just comports with what scripture says. Yeah. We like to plunder the gold of Egypt. We think God is big on common grace and gives some people that have no respect for him, gives them amazing insight to do research. Another thing. You had a question, I believe.
1: Yeah. yeah two points Yeah. Best cultivate church with presence. By none. The radical transformation that's happened in Western culture that's contributed to the escalating suicide rate, particularly among women, among young girls, is that there's now primarily peer attachment compared to parental attachment. The most significant thing you can do as a parent is be present. In fact, the most significant thing any of us can do is be present. Because when we show up with our own transformed and transforming presence, other people internalize that and it changes them. The most significant thing about parenting is presence, 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 presence. That means time and space. I need time and I need space to be present to those little people. If I don't show up and be present to them, they will find somebody to be present to them, and that will be their peer. Be your, if you're a parent, be their parent. Show up to them. And then here's the guiding principle. You be what you wish your children to become. You be what you wish your children to become. And if you are doing that as best you can, your children will follow you. And here's another important thing. I read this in someplace. I don't know where. Yeah, I read some. What facilitates communion with a child is when a parent can acknowledge they've made a mistake. And when a parent acknowledges to a child they have made a mistake, And does that reparative work? That fosters greater intimacy with your child than if you had done it right in the first place. Isn't that interesting? So if a parent can ask for forgiveness, you foster connection and communion with your child. We don't have to get it right all the time, but we really need to know when we got it wrong, and we need to own it. And if we can say that to our children, they will definitely follow us. Yeah. Parenting is about presence. It's all about relationship. It's about time and space with those little people. Yes, sir.
0: Given the importance of relationship, why are we hurting each other like we do? Why is it so easy? What what do you
1: think? Could be that sin, because it's a fallen world, because we're, we're sinful creatures. You know, we still have the flesh. And you know what? The truth is, many, many folks do not have healthy relational skills. They just don't. They haven't lived in healthy homes. They have no experience of being close or connected. They've been deeply wounded through relationships. They come to church and they try. And they find out, just like you and me, we mess up and screw up. And we hurt people. You see, the gospel has made provision for this. When it talks about sacrificial loving, right? It gospel talks about sacrificial loving and it talks about forgiveness why is there such a great emphasis on forgiveness in the community of god's people for the very reason because
0: there's a lot to forgive because there's a lot to forgive actually we'll answer your question after the break so that's we all want to have at least one person come back okay <laughs> so we'll try we'll try to we seriously want to address some of that it's it, it, it's complicated but it's, it's basically because my relational capacity, my situation in life and the demands of life and the relationships of my life are outrunning my capacity to do, my relational capacity.
1: You know, we say this often of young leaders. The worst thing that can happen to many young leaders is that they succeed. Because their success will take them beyond their relational capacity to manage it. Jim's raised a very important point about relational capacity. We have to learn to develop relational capacity. We need to learn to develop psychological resiliency and spiritual steadfastness as key elements of doing relationships. And for many people, that's very difficult to do. Just think yes sir. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Make a commitment when you're at church to be relationally focused with those that are there. You know, it's as simple as when you greet someone and ask them how you're doing, you listen. You, you, you look you, them in the eye. You look them in the eye. And if they tell you something, you follow up the next week. You just you you follow. You know, there's a buddy, a We're going to. We moved over to this little town. We go to this little Baptist church, as backwards as hell. And and we we go there every Sunday, and we we do the best we can. But there's a guy in this church, and he came up to me, just you know, I just getting known, said, yeah, I'm really having trouble with my breathing. And I said, no, I'm sorry. I, you know, you just having and you can't figure out what's wrong. The next week, I went back to Jim, I said, Jim, how are you? He, just started, he had tears in his eyes. It's just that simple. It's, it's not rocket science. It's hard because along the way, if you've been in the church at any length of time, you're going to get hurt. But you're going to get hurt in the church. But can you be steadfast in knowing this is part of maturation and growth for me in the community of faith? I'm not going to give up because I was slighted or offended or somebody said something to me. Or I was hurt. Or I may have been hurt in significant ways. And sometimes the church does hurt people in substantial ways. But we invite you to stay with it and work through it. We, we don't
0: mature without some tension yeah. along the way. Exactly. It just, it just doesn't happen. So the tense things, again, if I can calm down enough, breathe and say I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accept this as an invitation that God's inviting me to something for myself and hopefully for the other. So, keep going to church. You know, that's good. Greet people when you're there, look and be interested, keep reading your Bible, and and you know, we we're big on on giving space in your life for a little bit of solitude and silence, which is very technical. That means being alone and being quiet. And you got a place to do that here. You really not you know, not too far west. You got a place to do that. Yeah. So can and and and, and it's me. I like what you said earlier. God's spirit starts doing stuff in this implicit part of me that's below the waterline that I don't even know is going on. Absolutely. That's why the scripture just calls us to persevere by faith, trusting that he who began a good work in you. is 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 working. And when and when we don't see a lot explicitly, we can get all you know our spiritual underwear in a wad and just, you know, we're just you know, we're very anxious. Which comes back to can am I am I trusting, am I trusting that this God is for me, that he loves me with the love that he loves his son because I'm in his son. And the Spirit is ministering that. to me. Can I trust that?
1: Thank you for listening to The Well Podcast. For resources and information on how you can support our mission to proclaim the gospel and make disciples, please visit us online at www.boulderwell.org.